Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi there, welcome back. This will be for Haggai chapter 2. The heading reads, Haggai speaks messianically, the desire of all nations shall come, the Lord will give peace in his temple. Verse 1, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. Remember that uh, the seventh month is when the Feast of Tabernacles and Day of Atonement and all that, all those uh, festivals uh, happen among the Jews. Saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, who is left among you that, was, that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? When the foundation of the second temple was laid, some who had known the former temple wept with joy at the thought that they could have again the blessings that had been available in Solomon's temple. It was evident during the construction that this temple built in poverty would not have the splendor in the former temp- of the former temple. The Lord assured the people, however, that it was not the relative splendor of the two buildings that concerned him, but their obedience to his command to build a house to him. Haggai prophesied of a future temple that would surpass Solomon's in glory and splendor and would be the place where the Lord would give his people peace. This prophecy will be fulfilled in the Latter-day Temple that will be built on the same site. Haggai's prophecy that the desire of all nations shall come is a prophecy of Christ, who will bring a lasting peace in the world or to the world. Lasting peace, however, will be, bought, will be brought only after the Lord shakes the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and all nations, when he comes in his glory to usher in the millennium. Then his house will indeed be filled with glory. Peace will be established, and the desire of all nations will be completely fulfilled. And that was out of the manual of the Institute Manual. Verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when, I, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second day of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one then is unclean by a dead body, touch By a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, 
from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, or vine, vine, wine fat, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting, or rust, or smut, or blight, and with mildew, and with hail, in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn, yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth? From this day will I bless you. Keelan Delich explained the meaning of Haggai uh, these last verses, 10 to 19, that I read, the nation in its attitude towards the Lord resembles, on the one hand, a man who carries holy flesh in the lappet of his garment, and on the other hand, a man who has become unclean through touching a corpse. Israel also possesses a sanctuary in the midst of its land, namely the place which Jehovah has chosen for his own abode and favored with many glorious promises. But just as no kind of food, neither bread nor vegetables, neither wine nor oil is sanctified by the fact that a man touches it with his sanctified garment, so will all that is not rendered holy by the fact that it is planted in the soil of the land which surrounds and encloses the sanctuary of Jehovah. For Israel is utterly unclean on account of its neglect of the house of Jehovah, like a man who has become unclean through touching a corpse. Everything that Israel takes hold of, or upon which it lays its hand, everything that, it's, that it plants and cultivates, is from the very first affected by the curse of uncleanness. And consequently, even the sacrifices which it offers there upon the altar of Jehovah are unclean. The uncleanness was the reason the land was so unproductive. But when the Jews had repented and begun the work of the temple, the curse was to be lifted, and the Lord promised his blessing. Verse 20, And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the, of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, or one having authority, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. The meaning of the figurative expression to make Zerubbabel as a signet ring is evident from the importance of the signet ring in the eyes of an Oriental who is accustomed to carrying his signet ring constantly about with him and to take care of it as a very valuable a signet possession. Hence, we obtain this thought for our, our present passage. Namely, that on the day of, on which Jehovah would overthrow the kingdoms of the nations, he would make Zerubbabel like a signet ring, which is inseparable from its possessor. That is to say, he would give him a position in which he would be and remain inseparably connected with him, Jehovah, would therefore not cast him off, but take care of him as a, as a valuable possession as his valuable possession. That was by Kiel and Delich. The prophecy is messianic, and Zerubbabel in these scriptures served as a type of Christ. Kiel and Delich explained in order in order clearly to understand the meaning of that of this promise we must look at the at the position which Zerubbabel occupied in the community of Israel on its return from exile for we may at the outset assume that the promise did not apply to his own particular person but rather to the official post he held from the fact that what is here predicted was not to take place till after the overthrow of the throne and might of all the kingdoms of the heathen and therefore could not take place in Zerubbabel's lifetime inasmuch as although 
The fall of this or the other kingdom might be looked for in the course of one generation, the overthrow of all kingdoms and the coming of all the heathen to fill the temple of the Lord with their possessions certainly could not. Zerubbabel was Persian, was was Persian governor in Judah and had no doubt been selected for this office because he was prince of Judah and as a son of Sheltiel was a descendant of the family of David. Consequently, the sovereignty of David in its existing condition of humiliation under the sovereignty of the imperial power was represented and preserved in his appointment as prince and governor of Judah, so that the fulfillment of the divine promise of the eternal perpetuation of the seed of David in his kingdom was then associated with Zerubbabel and rested upon the preservation of his family. Hence the promise points to the fact that at the day when when Jehovah would overthrow the heathen kingdoms, he would maintain and take good care of his sovereignty of David in in the person of Zerubbabel. For Jehovah had chosen Zerubbabel as his servant. With these words, the messianic promise made to David was transferred to Zerubbabel and his family among David's descendants and would be fulfilled in his person in just the same way as the promise given to David that God would make him the, the highest among the kings of the earth. The fulfillment culminates in Jesus Christ, the son of David and descendant of Zerubbabel, in whom Zerubbabel was made the signet ring of Jehovah. Jesus Christ has raised up the kingdom of his father David again, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Even though it may appear oppressed and deeply humiliated for the time by the power of the kingdoms of the heathen, it will never be crushed and destroyed, but will break in pieces all these kingdoms and destroy them, and will itself endure forever. That has reference, doesn't it, to the stone cut out of the mountain without hands and filling the whole earth. That's the kingdom that Jesus is going to uh, inherit or receive at the uh, meeting at Adam on Diamon. Not, uh, not too in the not too distant future. Elder L. Tom Perry reminded us of the timeliness or the timelessness of Haggai's injunction to consider your ways. He said, "Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts: Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not f- filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but ye, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put in a in a bag of holes." Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I have read this great scripture and continue to be impressed with how clearly the Old Testament prophet describes the conditions of today. Almost daily we read of those who invest for little return. We eat food so refined that the nourishment is lacking. We witness the daily, or that we witness the drink that can never satisfy, the thirst for those who drink, the dressing for style rather than warmth comfort and modesty, the high wages of the wage earner today, which still do not satisfy or supply his needs. A noted historian several years ago summarized the reasons for the fall of Rome as follows. One, the breakdown of the family and the rapid increase of divorce. Two, the spiraling rise of taxes and extravagant spending. Three, the mounting craze for pleasure and the brutalization of sports. Four, the decay of religion into myriads of confused forms, leaving the people without a uniform guide. Our unconquered appetites and consuming drive for material possessions appear to be leading us on a course so often repeated in history. Greed, lust, and desire historically have, have only led mankind to waste, destruction, and suffering. James Talmadge has written, Material belongings, relative wealth or poverty, physical environment, the things on which we are prone to set our hearts and anchor our aspirations, the things for which we sweat and strive, oft-times at the sacrifice of happiness and to the forfeiture of real success, these, after all, are but externals, the worth of which, in the reckoning to come, shall be counted in terms of the use we have made of them. Isn't this the time, and isn't this the hour, to follow the admonition of the Lord to consider your ways? 
Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.